And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. Aloha, mahalo, spam sandwiches, poke bowls, where do we start? when you talk about Hawaiian food and also creating a workplace where people want to work. I think we're going to probably talk about all that stuff today on Startup Hustle. And before I introduce today's guest, today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult and Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. Now, as you are, you may or may not be aware, listeners, we are on our second episode of our Inc. 5000 series for folks that are here in my hometown of Kansas City. And we had a whole lot of great companies on the list in 2022, including my own. Now, that said, with me today, I've got Cameron McNee, and he is the co-founder and co-CEO of Hawaiian Bros Island Grill. Cameron, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thanks, Matt. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'd like to start our conversation with learning more about your backstory and, and, and including how how some bros in Kansas City end up opening a Hawaiian restaurant uh, here in the Midwest. Yeah, that's it's a great story. Um, it didn't start in it didn't start in Kansas City. The restaurant did, but we didn't. Um, uh, my brother and I grew up in Oregon, uh, Eugene, Oregon, Nike Town, Track Town, USA, mm-hmm. um, home of the Oregon Ducks, and that's that's where we grew up, and uh, we. Uh, uh, we got into the restaurant industry when we were pretty young. I was 20 and my brother was 16. Uh, my family had, uh, bought a small single location Hawaiian plate lunch restaurant in, in Oregon. Um, it was kind of some random circumstances that led to that happening. But when we did that, we jumped in and we started working for the family business. And we did that for over the next decade. Uh, and so we got really familiar with the Hawaiian plate lunch and, and that genre of food. And then over time, um, my brother and I had big dreams for, for what we wanted to do, um, with this brand and never really got the full opportunity to do that in the family business. And in around 2017, uh, Another set of brothers, also from Oregon, but they had moved to Kansas City. They uh, they had started a real estate investment company in Kansas City, and they had approached us and said, "Hey, there's there is no Hawaiian plate lunch. Um, you know, we know that you guys want to do big things with this. You have a big vision. There's nothing really like that on a national scale. Um, there's a lot of things that you've wanted to do over the last you know ten plus years that you haven't gotten to do." what do you guys think about coming out to Kansas city and starting um, a Hawaiian plate lunch restaurant in Kansas city? We'd never been to the Midwest, never been to Kansas city, but we went and checked it out. Um, and after a, you know, a few months of deliberation, we ended up, uh, we ended up, 
you know, making a deal with them and starting a, a four-way partnership, two sets of brothers. And uh, we opened our first location in 2018. So that's kind of how we ended up in Kansas City. And it's kind of become, you know, our new home. And that's interesting. Now, I have I have uh, had uh, I've enjoyed food from your Overland Park restaurant, um, and uh, and had recently returned from a eleven day trip to Waikiki this summer, where I learned what the plate lunch even is. Like I don't even not even sure in the Midwest if the term quote plate lunch is 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 that well known. And and you know, there's something about your story that that I love because why not? You get a, you got an opportunity to be pretty darn unique in this market, uh, pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, it's like, like I said, I didn't, uh, I, I learned a lot about Hawaiian food. Uh, I mentioned, uh, the, the spam sandwich. I don't, it's, do you say mas, spam masubi? Is that? Yeah. Spam masubi. It's a side item that we, that we do serve. Um, we, it's a, it's really popular in Hawaii. Uh, and, and we have our own kind of rendition on it, but yeah, it's, it's popular. Uh, it's, it's popular on the mainland. It's kind of, a that item in particular is kind of, a you're either all in or you're all out on it. Um, we don't get a lot of people that kind of like it. It's either they love it or they hate it. And some people are freaked out because it's spam. Um, we always tell people try it once and, and a lot of people end up being surprised and really loving it. Yeah. Well, I was surprised when I visited Hawaii. I'm like, what the hell is this? Now I'm adventurous. So I tried it and I was like, Hey, this is pretty good. You know, I never thought about that. Now I mentioned, you know, a poke bowl, which is not on your menu, but that's another thing in Hawaii. That's kind of like a really well-known thing. I'd never really heard of that term either. So as you're building this restaurant and scaling it and you guys are up 900% over three years, so you're doing something right, obviously, but what made you decide what would go on the menu and what wouldn't when it came to like Hawaiian food? Yeah, that's another great question. And, uh, you know, we are mainly a plate lunch restaurant. I mean, like, like you said, we have, um, we have the, uh, um, we have the side dishes like the spam musubi, but we decided early on that, Hey, we want to be a plate lunch restaurant. We can't be all things to all people, but what we want to do is do plate lunch really, really well. And for those that don't know, plate lunch is a term for a specific dish, two scoops of rice, a scoop of mac salad, and then a choice of protein. It's a very simple dish. Um, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a plentiful dish and, you know, we want to do that really, really well. And we've seen other major brands succeed with very simple menus. I know in and out, for example, which, you know, we're on the West coast. And so everyone in the West coast knows about in and out burger, especially in California. And they have a very, very simple menu. Um, and there's a lot of other great, really successful brands that have a simple menu. And we've just figured that, Hey, it's going to be the easiest to operate, keeping it very, very simple, but doing it really, really well. All for that. We've actually spent a lot of time talking about that on the show and that if you can't be A plus at one or two things, you might not have any business doing items three through infinity. And we've seen a lot of this, like there's a, I, there's like, there's a restaurant here in, in Kansas city that just serves uh, chicken tenders or something like that. And, you know, like, and, and just different things and, you know, be really good at one thing and people really dig that and, and definitely can respect that. Now, you know, as we mentioned, your company made it onto the Inc 5000 this year. Congratulations again for that. And with that, Thank that's you. a sign of a rapidly growing business. And, and for those of you that are just joining this episode, maybe didn't hear our other ones this year about Inc 5000, that's a list that Inc 
Inc.com or Inc. Magazine puts out of the 5,000 fastest growing privately held companies over the last three-year period. And, and it is an indicator that you're growing quickly. And with that, that could be difficult to manage for a lot of people. Um, and, you know, we're talking about creating a workplace where people want to work. That's challenging as well with a new rapidly growing business. you got culture issues to create, process, all of that. Like, I mean, how, how is that? I mean, what are you, what are you doing to create the workplace where people want to be? Another, another, you know, thing for us that was important from the very beginning, you know, when you start in the restaurant industry at a young age and you've gone through, you know, there's some people that get into restaurant management later and they maybe haven't worked in a restaurant. And, and my brother and I had worked at all levels of a restaurant. We've, you know, rubbed elbows with crew members, managers, things like that. And you start to learn that the restaurant industry is, is a, it's a very demanding job. Um, it, it can be very stressful, especially at the busier establishments. It's very stressful on crew. Um, sometimes you just have that feeling, you know, of working in a fast paced restaurant of never being able to catch up. And that's a, that's a, that's just demanding on someone day in and day out. And so you learn that, uh, you learn that the restaurant industry is demanding and that's why there's a lot of burnout in the restaurant industry. That's why there's a lot of turnover in the restaurant industry. And so even before the pandemic, when, when my brother and I kind of started to lay out the vision and the dreams for what Hawaiian bros would be, we, we said, Hey, we need a fun place that people want to work. We need to treat them well. We need to treat them respectfully and we need to value their time. And that's one of the biggest things that, that, that we did with our management right away is it's, it's not uncommon in the restaurant industry, you know, to have a manager, you pay him a salary based on 40 hours a week, but you demand 65 to 70 hours a week. And that's not something that we do. Um, that's not something that we aim to aim to do at all. We want to respect their time. We, we take the position that, hey, we do not own these employees. These are part of our team. They're part of our family. And we need to make sure that we are balancing or helping them balance their life outside of work. And so that's one of the first things we did is say, hey, we need to create a system and a culture where we value your time. Now, that doesn't mean there's not a week where someone has to put in extra time. I think we've all experienced that. But on, you know, on the average, um, we're trying to create that environment. And then other, other simple things we've done. You know, let's have what I call win-win, um, you know, win-win policies. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, you know, brands that might have a, a strict meal policy. I, that's not a battle I want to fight with our crew members. So we just said, hey, you're going to get free meals, you know, and if you want to give your meal to a family member, that's great too. Um, we don't care. You know, we, we want to have fun uniforms and, you know, we're not going to get super uptight about what you wear, you know, wear a Hawaiian bro shirt and a hat and pretty much we don't care what else you wear, you know, as long as it's appropriate. And so, you know, we, we've set up a lot of what we call win-win policies that, that make the environment easier for the employees to live in and have fun in. You know, another thing that we do that we, that we always talk about is each one, of our, uh, each one of our stores has its own TikTok page run by the employees. We actually encourage the employees to make TikToks during the slower times. They make all sorts of fun TikToks in the restaurants. Um, and, and what ends up happening is a lot of their friends and customers end up following and it's actually become a recruiting tool because friends see their, their friends working at Hawaiian bros and say, Hey, this company has fun uniforms. They have lax policies for the most part, and they're making TikToks when it's fun. It's good food, that kind of stuff. They want to come work for us. And so during this time, we haven't had a huge problem in hiring people. And, and we attribute a lot of that to the culture. And, and it doesn't start, I mean, it, it might start with me and my brother, but it, 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 it's so many people carrying that torch now. 
Yeah, I think so much about running a business and and you know you talk about recruitment and you know here I am I'm I'm on year four and we had to find three hundred people that were all qualified to do really tough stuff and you know part of it is and I've been real adamant about that myself is you know this needs to be a fun place to work like it can't suck to work here if it sucks to work here no one's going to want to work here and. And part of our recruitment and our growth, so it's just so you know, I, I have to typically have 30 applicants to find one that we want to give a job offer to. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's highly technical and there's a lot of things that we we look for. But with that, <clears throat> our, our employees are our best recruiters as well. And, you know, they know people, other people that are good at what they do and have an idea of that. And I just think you don't get any of that if it sucks to work at your company. So you talk about like the value of time, big advocate there. I'm totally buy into that. And then, you know, for us, it's also like, we're going to pay you well, you know, because that's that's one thing that's pretty much the real reason that most people go work somewhere else is they have a better opportunity or the place they work at sucks. So, you know, I think a lot of that's easy to say and easy to do when it comes to like, the, the fun part and the like, well, let's talk about recruiting for a second. So like, so you, you mentioned TikTok and I want to point out that you, you did, you built this and got all this growth <clears throat> during a pandemic at a time mm-hmm. when your competition was failing. I mean, how, how did you navigate that? Yeah, it, it wasn't easy um, at times during the pandemic, um, and we're still experiencing some of the after effects of it, you know, with the inflation and things like that. But what we were very well positioned to do during the pandemic was to pivot to drive through curbside pickup delivery. Uh, we and we were doing a lot of that before, but a lot of those brands that had that emphasis and focus <laughs> during the pandemic actually saw their sales increase. Because dine-in and, and, you know, that kind of stuff was was either not allowed or, or people were, you know, hesitant to go do that. So we um, we just bought in even more to those channels. Um, and so drive through, for example, um, almost all our locations have a drive through And we that's 55 to 60% of our business is in the drive through One of the things that we do is we try to, we boast of very, very fast drive through times. We actually have, you know... Uh, we actually have monitors in the ground that measure how, how often cars are moving. And that's actually one of our manager's bonus metrics is the drive-through times that they're running. And so, you know, we are trying to get keep cars moving every 30 seconds in the drive-through. So we call it a window time, 30-second window time. A lot of – we've had stores in some really busy hours hit 22 to 25-second window times. And so, you know, you do that in a pandemic um, or just in general – People want to come back because if you're consistently fast, they can rely on you. They know they know what they're going to get. If the food is consistent and the service is consistent and the speed is consistent, then people want to come back. We changed our curbside model to where you don't have to come in the store. You can just park and we have people out there watching you pull in. We're like, hey, who's this order for? Someone else is running it out. We get you in and out of the parking lot quick. Um, and we do the same thing with the delivery drivers. The delivery drivers don't have to come in. Um, you know, Uber Eats, DoorDash, Grubhub, they don't have to come into the store. It's kind of our motto. If you're not going to dine in with us, then there's really no reason for you to be in the store. Let us do all the work. You stay in your car and we'll take care of it for you. And so we've just become very, very fast. And, you know, so all that off-premise, all those off-premise channels kind of amount to 80% of our business and 20% is dine in, which might seem kind of low, but at our average unit volumes, 20% still a very healthy dine in business as well. 
And we get rid of kind of the clutter of people coming in and placing orders to go inside by having robust curbside and delivery. And so, um, you know, that was very optimized for the customer during the pandemic. And, you know, and on top of that, like I said, employees have desired to work, work for us and, and love our culture and love, um, just love the business in general. And that was a recipe for success in the pandemic. So what, everything you mentioned, you know, this, the fast paced culture, um, with that, do you look for a certain type of person when you're doing interviews? Cause I think a lot of people, well, they're just not fast paced people. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good question. Um, you know, at the crew level, um, it's, it's hard at the crew level to get, <laughs> to get that technical on what you're looking for. Um, certainly when you start getting into management, uh, you, you start, uh, you know, we do some, some personal personality type surveys that we really, really believe in. And that, uh, that is a huge component of who we hire at management levels, uh, because there's nothing worse than a great person in the wrong job, right? That, you know, you can have a great person, but they're in the wrong job and it just doesn't work out no matter how great a person they are. And so we want to find great people that are the right fit for the job that they're going to be doing. And we have a bunch of different jobs that require different personality types and all that. So we do believe in that. Um, at the crew level, um, at the crew level, the recruiting kind of takes care of itself. We get a lot of referrals. A lot of employees are bringing their friends in, which we embrace. Um, we embrace that. Some other brands might not embrace friends and, and family as much. We, we totally embrace people's friends and family coming to work for us. And, you know, we, it's worked for us so far. And it's not that there's never an issue, but the con, the pros have way outweighed the cons on that. And so, you know, also when they're, not everyone has to be fast paced because we've, we have optimized our kitchen um, significantly over the last few years to where, uh, to where you don't have to necessarily be working, you know, at a manic pace to, to work efficiently. And that has to do with some of the optimizations and things we did. We like to say, we, we compare our kitchen kind of like a tachometer on a car, you know, yeah, you could rev this car up to the 10 and it's going to sound really loud and you're putting a lot of stress on it. Well, we've built our kitchens to handle that kind of volume, but then we're usually just kind of cruising at a three. And so when people get off our shifts, it might've been really, really busy, but doesn't feel like it to them. They're going home, not dog tired and, and they're, uh, you know, they're ready for work the next day. Yeah. I'm one of those. I'd rather be busy than not. That's how you end up feeling like you were there every day. Now, one of the things that at my business that I've tried to try to do is, is have programs that, you know, we like, we have a full-time employee engagement person, and try to do a lot of stuff. So by nature, my business, we help, we build teams of programmers for tech companies. So the problem we have with that is with, you know, just under 50 clients that we staff teams for in perpetuity, we've got, you know, 40, four dozen different cultures to adapt to, meaning work cultures, methods, and it's our job to adapt to, uh, to, you know, to what our client does, not the other way around. Cause we don't want you to have to change a whole bunch of stuff to do business with us. So when it comes to like programs, I mean, what, what do you, what do you think, like, what do you do or what are uh, some tips that you could give for creating them? When I say programs, I say employee engagement. So every quarter 
we provide a budget for and coordinate events that uh, like uh, team bonding events. And our, our employees are in the Philippines. So I get the pictures and I'm like, man, I wish I was on that. They're like, you know, hiking yeah. through the jungle or scuba diving or doing something like that. And it's, it's an attempt to get them to uh, spend some time together outside of work and then also like have fun at work. I mean, what, and that's been a big, that's, that's a big hit both with our clients and our employees uh, what what kind of tips or stuff do you do, do you do? Yeah, it's it you know it's it's going to be different for every workplace culture. It's going to be different for every brand. Um, but some of the fundamentals probably are the same. You know, we we are big on on team bonding, and that can happen at all different levels. You know, obviously, right now with thirty two stores, I can't go to every store's you know store event. Um, that they do. Um, but they're happening, you know, and we have a budget for that kind of stuff. And we have, you know, for our, we call them our four store restaurants, you're either an in store, you're either an in store, um, you know, staff member, or you're a four store staff member. So anyone who's uh, for the store, you know, that's kind of, uh, that's a whole different group of people. And they, they often have their own events and, and, and circles of friends within the company that they're doing stuff with. They also are in, you know, engaging with people at the store as well. And so, you know, we, we believe in that greatly and we try to create spaces where that, where that will happen uh, and where the bonding can happen because there's work never feels like work when you're having fun and when you enjoy the people that you work around and when you know the people that you work around, you care about them. Um, it doesn't feel like work as much. And so, uh, yeah, we, we believe in it. So, I, you know, I don't have any specific advice for brands other than, you know, you got to figure out what works for you, but don't, don't devalue the importance of that, you know, team morale, team bonding, workplace culture. Those are the things that I think separate, you know, great brands from, you know, from good brands. Yeah, we do a couple other things. I mentioned like employee engagement, and that's been something that during the pandemic, because, you know, we went from having people that came to this very sophisticated office and, and, and a high-tech IT park in, in Cebu City in the Philippines, which most people haven't heard of, the second biggest city in the Philippines. And and then all of a sudden, you know, where you, you have this like social interaction and mentorship and all these things, and, you know, we gave you a free meal. And, and, all the, and then all of a sudden, boom, we're all at home, locked in a room. You know, and, and with that, yeah. there, were, there was concerns that came up and, you know, part of our employee engagement and also HR process was literally just making sure people were doing okay. And, you know, that's been a, a challenge because we stayed remote. So we didn't, we're, and we're not, we're not changing that. And so we've had to make a lot of, a lot of adjustments and creations to just make sure people are doing okay. Because so, some of the feedback we got from people is, you know, I mean, that can be a real lonely existence. And we want to make sure that first off, like, are you okay? And, and I think it's okay to ask your employees that because I find that when you ask people that and they're not, they will usually tell you. Yeah, that's it's a good point. We actually were uh, remote before the pandemic um, as a strategy, uh, at least for our, you know, for our four store employees. Um, we, we have embraced that. Um, we have found that people like the flexibility. Um, obviously, if you're in the store, you got to be in the store. But um, we we have embraced that, and it's worked really well for us. We meet up all the time. You know, we travel. Um, we travel when we need to meet up, and you know, we'll meet at one of our markets, and we'll have the in-person meetings that we need to have, or board meetings, or strategy meetings, and we'll do that. And of course, we're leveraging technologies by Zoom 
and we're aware that it's there's there's a con to the remote culture as well. There's there's less um, personal you know, one-on-one engagement, there's a less face-to-face engagement. So we try to make it really special when we do get the face-to-face engagement. Um, you know, when we do have a strategy meeting that we're in person for, um, instead of zoom, you know, we try to make that special and have other, you know, other events going on that, that promote, you know, that team bonding. Well, speaking of promotion, it feels like a good time to remind everyone that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit FullScale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the FullScale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit FullScale.io to learn more. And still in the spirit of promotion, you mentioned 32 stores. Those aren't just here in Kansas City. Yeah, that we started in Kansas City. Um, our first few were in Kansas City, uh, um, and we have about ten or so in Kansas City now. Um, we have them in uh, Dallas um, as our is our is our uh, next market, and then uh, Austin. There's a few in Austin. We just opened in Houston. Just opened in San Antonio, uh, in Oklahoma City. So yeah, we're kind of all up and down the Midwest. Got two ghost kitchens in Chicago. So yeah, we we're 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 very much in the Midwest right now. Um, started in Kansas City and still expanding there, but uh, definitely expanding elsewhere as well. Uh, a little off the the topic here, but what kind of I feel if with everyone not okay when I I think that prior to my recent trip to Hawaii, if you said name Hawaiian food. I would have been like uh, a luau, which isn't a kind of food, right? yeah. obviously. Do, yeah. Have you had yeah. to go through, do you have to kind of go through any kind of education process or adoption or like, how do you, how do you get people in, in Dallas or Houston or Oklahoma city or Kansas city where, by the way, we all, it's all like barbecue, 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 if you weren't aware, but how, how did, how did you go about educating yeah. people what Hawaiian bros even served? Yeah, I, I am aware. I, I love the Kansas City barbecue, and uh, and and Dallas has great food as well. But uh, yeah, it, there's there's kind of an education process, but I think people were pretty curious, um, and you know they were curious to try it. And uh, you know, one of the things we do when we are gearing up to open a new store is one of our biggest marketing ploys is we just do a few days the weekend before we open of free food. Um, we tend to theme it around like a select group of people like teachers or military first responders that kind of thing and and we try to market to them and it's kind of a training opportunity for our new for our new staff and and it's and it's a marketing opportunity just to give away free food what happens is just the general public sees cars and whatnot and they think we're open so they come in and they find out that it's free and you know we we do thousands of people in that three-day span and and so there's already a built-in education with that and they tell people about it. They're, they appreciate the free meal. So they're likely to come back once we open and support us, you know, by paying for a meal. And uh, so we, we, we get off to a really good start that way. So there's always some education process, but I think curiosity, people want to try it and people see the long, you know, they see the lines, they see other people trying it and they want to do it. So there has been some education, but uh, word of mouth is a lot of power as well. You, uh You've done a great job of that here locally because uh, just ge- generating hype. And because I remember someone was saying something, I can't remember social media or something, was excited that Hawaiian Brothers had 
opened the place that is near my home, which that's your Overland Park store, which by the way, I want to point out that was a Burger King before. And I quit going there because it was I every time I had gone there, I was like, this is so slow is this shouldn't be called fast food. And like, that's the kind of yeah. proving your point with the, the order to window time. And I was just like, I just quit going there. It's just like, man, this is bad. It took forever. I'm like, does it really take this long to do yeah. this? And and said that the last time I went there, it's been a while. So when I saw it, when I saw it, you rebuilt it, rebranded it and refreshed that location. I was like, all right, here we go. So, all right. So, but, you know, obviously we've been talking about rapidly growing businesses. We've been talking about workplace culture and stuff like that in general. What's been the hardest part about being a founder and, and leader at a rapidly growing business? Yeah. The hardest part I'd say is that when you grow as fast as we've grown, every, every department within the organization has to scale appropriately or you're going to get hiccups. And we've had some hiccups, you know, we'll be the first ones to admit that, but you know, you've got, we've got multiple different departments, you know, we've got development, we've got finance, um, we've got marketing, we've got people, um, you know, there's operations. And so you have, these various IT, you have these various different departments and it's not, it's not just opening 32 stores. It's building the infrastructure in each one of those departments to scale with the brand and to be able to support the brand because each one of those departments supports a store in a unique way. And you can't, properly operate the store if they're not supported properly. And so we've made some mistakes for sure. Um, and we've had to play catch up, you know, on some of those departments, just, you know, we didn't staff them quick enough. It's, it's when you're going to grow fast, you have to be staffing ahead, not behind, you know, you, you have to, your growth spending and things like that. And so I would say that's been the hardest part. That's been the biggest learning curve for me personally. Uh, this business is way larger than anything I've ever been a part of before or, or in the, certainly in terms of managing. And so, you know, there's, there is some learn on the fly stuff. We brought in a team of great advisors and industry experts as well um, who, are, who are really helpful in so many ways, much, much more qualified and smarter than myself. And so, but yeah, scaling the entire restaurant is, is I'd say is the hardest, was the hardest challenge and still is the hardest challenge. I, I really want everyone to take note of the, the hiring ahead of growth and that, man, you want to talk about that being a challenge. So with the majority of our, of our company existing in the Philippines, so dude, the average, so when you quit a job there, you give 30 to 60 days notice, which means it's yeah. not like, you know, in the U S you got like this two week window or something. And it's if like, that. Oh man. And we get, and you know, we, I mean, we got to think like quarters and all this time in advance. And then also if you, what you do. So uh, on some levels, I'm not going to compare all restaurants the same, but a lot of people have food service experience. If your business does something niche or special or, or like just something that, that, that it's hard to find people that come with any type of experience, uh, then you, I think you have to think even further in advance because you're going to have to train them, get them up to speed, get them to do a whole bunch of stuff. And, you know, it's, I mean, and that, and I, I think you're right about that. And, and if you're wrong and you, you're right, one single department can drag it all down. I recently gave a fireside chat about, uh, about how to scale sales at a rapidly growing business. And the very, before I even got into any of that, 
the question was, are you even ready to scale? If you grew, if your business got 10 times bigger, because the definition of scale is to basically change on demand without having to have uh, a massive, you know, like disruption in what you're doing. And that's why software companies have a little easier time if done right, because you can dial the server up a little more and handle that. It's a little different when it comes to pe- businesses that that rely on people working at them are inherently uh, almost unscalable by that definition, because you got to find more people to do more things. You got to train them. You got to wait for them to start. You got to replace people that leave. And, and, you know, if you're not ready for that. Uh, so, I mean, for us, one of the issues that we've had, we grew so quickly that often we found ourselves having a waiting list of people that were waiting for yeah. our services or service providers. And, and I've had a bunch of people like, oh, that's a good problem to have. No, it's not. It's terrible. It sucks because as the business owner, I'm sitting here going, it's like all this unrealized opportunity and revenue and profit and all of it. And it, I'll tell you, it's a terrible feeling. It's not, it's not a totally. good thing. Yeah. And it's a, have you had any of that with like, I mean, I'm sure if you, with 32 stores, you're probably like 64, 128, 256, but you got, you got it. Well, you got to do them one at a time. Yeah, exactly. There is, there's a one at a time, but at the same time, building the systems to handle more than one at a time. And, you know, one of the ways we've done that is it's not just hiring people with, within it's, it's hiring expert, you know, professional services, you know, consultants, um, fractional employees, you know, people that can be experts in a certain field and, and, and almost we treat them like family. We treat them like they're, you know, part of us, but, um, they're not employees. And uh, that's another way we've, we've bridged the gap in scale. Let's talk, let's talk about consultants and fractional employees. Cause you know, the fractional employee, that's a term that I feel like has really become in vogue in like the last five years, but by nature, consultants, attorneys, accountants are often all fractional. My dad was an attorney and he didn't just have one client. So he was a fractional attorney yeah. essentially. Now, now with that, I, when I was, when I was younger as an entrepreneur, I was a lot more resistant to that. And I would, uh, you know, you're like, Oh my God, I'm not paying that person 500 bucks an hour. And then I realized I'm like, you're not paying for that hour. You're paying for the lifetime of opportunity and experience that occurred in front of it. And I've, I've yeah. truly taken like a 180 in that regard, a higher consultants and, and stuff like that all the time. Uh, what's some advice you could give to other entrepreneurs or people that want to be when it comes to figuring out who can give you good input and who couldn't? Because by the way, I've had some good ones and had some bad ones too. Yeah, that's, that's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's a balance, right? You don't, I mean, we have a number of great qualified, smart employees um, that have a certain experience set, but then, uh, you know, there's another group of people out there in the consulting world that they have a skill set and an experience that you might not be able to have in house. And it's just, it's just utilizing them and finding the balance to work alongside, alongside our team. So far, I feel like we've managed it really well. Um, and like I said, we treat those, we treat those consultants and the fractionals, you know, like they're part of us. So if we, if we do have some sort of event, we often invite them, um, as if they're part of us. But I I think the biggest thing is, is that if you're going to scale and you're going to do something that takes a high level of precision, you, you can't settle for not having experts in certain areas. And so we, we have just taken that thing is that we want to have, we've taken the stance that we want to have experts. Um, and so Oftentimes that comes in the form of a consultant who has helped another business implement what we're trying to implement or things like that. And so, 
um, yeah, th- that's, that's how we've managed it. And it's worked out really well for us. And I think, you know, our employees love the, the benefit that, that we get from the consultants and, you know, and the professional services that we are, are utilizing. You know, when it comes to consulting and before I was an entrepreneur, you know, worked semi-corporate stuff. And I mean, it wasn't uncommon for one of the companies I worked for to hire 10 consultants. So they had 10 opinions hoping to pick the best one, you know, or the best course oh, yeah, of action. And, 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 you know, so with that, but some people look at the, oh, well, that defines corporate waste. Uh, it doesn't. I mean, you're basically crowdsourcing some good ideas there. And, and I think one of the things that you mentioned, the expertise, that's great. Now, for those of you that are early stage in your business, um, you know, a fr- fractional access also means fractional expenses. And then these expenses are, um, you know, if you hire a full-time person, there's a different level of commitment and responsibility and liability that comes if you have to let that person go or anything else. And so there is a safety net with that. On the downside of the consultant and fractional side of things, I am a firm believer that, that, that problems are usually best solved by people that wake up as a business owner wanting to solve your problems, meaning like, and, and yeah. so keep in mind when you do hire fractional people or, or consultants, um, most, well, in most cases, if they're working with more people than just you, you don't have all of the attention, but that's also why you don't have all of the expense that goes with it. Uh, for us, we've hired sales, marketing consultants primarily is what we've looked at. Um, you know, any, a, attorneys are by nature, you know, that we've had, uh, fractional CFOs. I mean, what, what are some of the fractional or consulting services that are used in the restaurant industry? Yeah. Uh, marketing, you know, uh, we mm-hmm. have, we have a few people on our team that are, you know, employees that are in the marketing department, but we utilize an agency and we utilize, you know, other, other resources out there that are marketing. So that would be an example of consultant or fractional, uh, supply chain is another example. Um, project management, uh, for us is something that we use legal, um, legal for sure. Um, we don't have any in-house counsel. Um, and then, uh, Another thing um, is is in accounting and finance, um, you know, we use some fractional help there. You know, we have an accounting service provider that does a lot of our book work. We still have people that are doing other accounting and finance functions that are in-house, um, but we do we do outsource some of that stuff. So, uh, you know, and there's there's other things, too. Um, there's other things that we that we outsource as well to these fractional employees and consultants and and professionals and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it's it's all about them working in tandem with our team. Once again, Cameron McNee, co-founder and co-CEO of Hawaiian Bros Island Grill. About to end this episode of the show, I like to end my episodes with what I call the Founders Freestyle, where we can review the stuff we talked about or maybe what we forgot to talk about. And before we get to that, if you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, FullScale can help. We have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. Go to FullScale.io. It takes like two minutes to fill out the questions, and our platform's going to match you up with people that are passionate about solving the problems that you have. And at FullScale, we specialize in building long term teams that work only for you, much like Hawaiian bros. We were on the Inc. 5000 this year. Bro, we got to keep up with you. We're only at 878. So we're going to have some work to do with that. I mentioned the the founders freestyle. I like to hand the mic over to the guests and take a turn myself to kind of look back at the conversation and either highlight something that, that, 
that stood out in the conversation. And oftentimes, you know, here we are, uh, I think my number one comment all these episodes later is, wow, that went pretty fast. So I don't know if there's anything you forgot to say, plug anything. So it's your freestyle. I've had people rap, sing, do free form poetry, none of which is required. Yeah, I'm probably not going to do any of that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I appreciate I appreciate you having me on. Um, you know, I think I think I got to say a little bit about the brand. Uh, you know, we we're excited to where we're where we're going as a brand, and we're excited about the culture that we have in in the company. And I think that's that is honestly what what makes me get up in the morning and what I'm most excited about. Um, you know, the P and L, of course, that means something, but um, I deal with, I deal in terms of, of people and, and I want to, I want to provide an, an atmosphere and a culture where people are happy and they're engaged. And, uh, you know, we're trying to do our best. We're not without our own, without our own failures and faults, like any business, but, um, you know, that's, that's what we strive to be. Uh, we have, you know, core values as a company that guide us quite a bit. And, uh, that's, you know, we want to be, we want to be that business and, and we want to be one of the restaurants. I think there's some, some others as well, you know, that are trying to kind of change the tide of the historic reputation of restaurants, you know, being a burnout scenario. And, uh, we don't, we don't want to do that. Um, not perfect, but that's our, that's our aim. Yeah. I'm going to parlay off that for my freestyle and say that, you know, want to re-highlight, uh, have a place that doesn't suck to work. I think that can be like rule one, because if it sucks to work at your place, you're not going to keep people and you're not going to get them to come in because it's just it's, it, that, that shit doesn't stay a secret. That's a, a key thing. I think another thing that, and maybe, and I think this is, that goes with having a place that doesn't suck to work out is go find experts. You know, that you mentioned that I've, I've, I've leaned on that, uh, in, in, you know, there are people that know how to do and have done most of the stuff of what you're looking to do. Let them pay them to come tell you, you know, and there, and you can, you can accelerate your growth, your education, your, all of that, all of that process by finding people that are experts. There's a ton of them out there. So don't tell yourself that there aren't. Uh, and, you know, with that, I just like, I, I, you know, another thing is, is I love the free meal thing. Like, let people participate in, in, in what you do and own it. Cause like when I go to a restaurant, like I, okay, I, I literally asked you drive through, I said, what do you like here? And they told me. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's it. And I'm that, I'm that guy. Cause I want to know what the people yeah. at the restaurant want to eat and what they don't. And like, and, and you're not going to get it. Now what I don't like is when I go somewhere like, well, I haven't really tried a lot of the stuff here. And I'm like, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm thinking, why would I then? you know, then give me a water, give me a water and my check. So yeah, exactly. Well, man, thanks again for joining me. And thanks for uh, helping us and the other uh, entrepreneurs of Kansas City uh, represent the Inc. 5000 the way that we could and should have. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.